0: Good morning Steelman in the Church of Christ. What an honor, privilege, and pleasure it is to uh, be able to worship along the statue this morning. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is Lord today. We celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty. And uh, it's so, it's a wonderful privilege and pleasure to have you all here today uh, to worship together. We are actually on a uh, week two of a four-week series on Jesus. Looking at Jesus. And I think this is so critical because we are Christians. And every once in a while we need to look back at scripture and look at who is it that we actually worship. Because we worship Jesus. We as Christians, we don't worship the Bible. We don't worship the name that's on the side of our building. We don't worship the traditions before us or, or, or behind us. What we as a community do, we are committed to the worship of Jesus Christ. And that's who we sing to, that's who we pray to, that's that is what it's all about. And so for the next four weeks, well, or the next three weeks, we're going to continue on the study of Jesus. Who was Jesus? Because it is undeniable, it is so true that Jesus Christ is probably one of the most influential people to ever walk the face of this earth. So much good has come from Jesus Hospitals, charities, orphanages, churches—so many amazing things have sprung from this one man who lived 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East. In the same way, although Jesus is probably the most influential person to ever walk the face of the earth, it could also be said that Jesus could, might, could possibly be one of the most misunderstood people to ever walk the face of the earth. In fact, we talked last week about certain images that we see, certain pieces of art or artwork that depict Jesus in certain forms, and it was humorous after services to hear your stories about things uh, that you've heard of Jesus, I did get one email from from somebody who sent me a photo, another photo, a depiction of Jesus that has more of a modern feel to it. Here's the photo. (laughs) This is another image of Jesus that we see circulating around. You know, guess who sent me this photo? None other than Jake Jacobson. (laughs) And I got the email, I was like, Jake, this guy looks just like you. (laughs) I mean, grow your beard out a little longer, eat your hair. This is Jake Jacobson, (laughs) the hippie, hippie Jake Jacobson right here.
1: (laughs) But here, uh, it's
0: so vital, so important that we pause as a community, as Christians, and we really look at the life and teachings of Jesus Christ. Because like we talked about last week, there are times that the practices, the traditions of the church, if we're really honest and if we really look, it doesn't mesh, doesn't connect, doesn't support with the teachings of Jesus. There are certain interpretations of scripture that we as a, a body have adopted, but if we're completely honest, some of those interpretations do not mesh, they do not align with the teachings of Jesus. So it is so important that we pause and we study we look at his life and his teachings and we begin here in that realization of who Jesus is and the inspiration of who he was inspires us today on what we do and who we are and how we treat people. Last we talked about Jesus as the rabbi, discipleship, how we are his followers and we are called to emulate him in every single way that we can in our life. And today there's another phrase that's used often in the New Testament with the writers and also the early church that I'd like to explore. If you have your Bibles today, please turn to 2 Corinthians. The second letter of Corinthians, right after the first letter, and right before the third. I said, I said that joke before, it's kind of funny. Third, there's no third Corinthians. The second Corinthians, chapter four. We'll start reading in verse time, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. This is his second letter, and he is right now expounding upon what it means for there to be a new covenant. What this new covenant means in, in the life of everyone, in the day-to-day life of everyone is there. Verse 1, it says, so Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. We can repeat again verse 5 in this passage. For what we preach, what we preach, what the person to the left and the right, what we preach together is not ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, the early Christians, the New Testament writers, they time and time again refer to Jesus as Lord. In the Greek, this word is kurios which means lord which means master which means god and in the new testament this particular word addressed to jesus is used over 700 times 700 times in the new testament to address to talk about this man jesus and god in fact there became in the new in, in the first century in the early church an expression a creed was developed based on this term of Jesus. The creed was, in Greek two words, in English it's three, Jesus is Lord. It began it began to be circulated among the early church, and I think that was how they would know that one was a Christian, if they were able to say, Jesus is Lord, yes, Jesus is Lord. If they were able to profess, Jesus is Lord with their mouth, it was indication that they were one of the followers of Jesus. Scripture after Scripture talks about this. In 1 Corinthians 12, it refers to this mantra, to this creed. No one can say in verse three 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Romans 10, 9-13, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Philippians 2, 10 and 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like I said, many believe that this was one of the first creeds in the first century, the first statements that the church could rally around that Jesus is Lord it's like really think about it. And when I was preparing, I thought about myself back in January of 1993, when I was just 12 years old, and I was at my home church in Bangkok, Thailand, and I had decided that day to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And I remember clearly in front of the church, with my dad there on the stage, his eyes were in tears. One of the few times I saw my dad cry, and he asked me in front of the congregation, John Mark, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? And it was there before the church that I was able to say, yes, I believe that Jesus is Lord. And he is the Son of God. And the question of this sermon that I want to, to put out to you, it's the same, very same question that my dad asked me back in 1993. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? And before you answer that question, let's look at what it really means before we go into actually answering this question. If you're brave enough to even admit that you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because to us in 2018, just in 19, I apologize. The, the phrase Jesus is Lord, it sounds innocent. It's sweet, it's tame. Jesus is Lord, but if we were to look at where that phrase originated in ancient Near East, this particular phrase "Lord" was the same word that was used to describe the Roman emperor. And if you remember, when this, when these letters, when, when the Bible was written, the people of Jesus they were under under the, the rule of the Roman Empire. And so, when this first, when this word was first used, it didn't just have a religious tone. It wasn't just a religious word that was, that was talked about how Jesus is, is a spiritual Lord in that sense. But when the first century Christians, the early church, when they used this phrase, Jesus is Lord, it also had a very political connotation. It was a political statement. Not only was it a religious statement, but it was a political statement. It was a bold statement. It was a revolutionary statement. It was a radical statement that the Christians of that day would say because it was challenging the very leader of the empire that was in control. Because, if you guys know history, when Julius Caesar, the the first emperor of the Roman Empire that, that, that began it all, when he passed away, the Roman Senate declared that he was a god and that Julius Caesar was a god and any of his descendants were known to be the sons of God. And back then, the propaganda was passed around with money. And if you look at the money back in the ancient years of the Roman Empire, you can see inscriptions on the money that say, "Roman," the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor is the Prince of Peace, is the Son of God. There are some Roman inscriptions that talk of the, the Roman Emperor as the Lord. The Roman Senate adopted that certain term to address the Roman emperor. And so when the early Christians said that phrase, that that sentence, Jesus is Lord, they were by implication saying that Caesar was not Lord. They were saying that their loyalty was to the kingdom that Jesus preached. And not to the kingdom that Caesar was promoting. It was a very radical political statement at that point in time. Because one of the the key messages of Jesus was this kingdom message. He He spoke about a kingdom of God time and time again. A new reality. In fact, in his prayer, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus, this new reality, this new kingdom... He was promoting a new way to see the world. A new way to see the world where love and sacrifice trumped power and greed. A new way to see the world where the marginalized and oppressed had a voice. A new way to see the world where there was fruits of the spirit of love and grace and patience and forgiveness. And when the early Christians Said this phrase, "Jesus is Lord." They were saying that their first loyalty, that their primary allegiance, was to this kingdom, was the king to the kingdom of Jesus. And yes, they would respect the government. They would render to Caesar what was Caesar's. But if there was ever a clash, or if there if there ever was a tension, they would always side with the kingdom of Jesus over the kingdom of Caesar. This was a very, very powerful message. Man, if if we're honest, what an incredible, powerful message for today. In the political climate that we live in, in the United States, in, in Texas, even globally, what an incredible power. And I ask again, church, are you ready to say that Jesus is your Lord? Are you ready to say that Jesus Christ is your Lord? And before you answer full, I just want to talk about how hard it is in today's world to fully say this and mean it with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, how difficult it is. Because by nature and by birth, there are a thousand groups that we are part of, a thousand uh, communities are part of the, the nations that we're a part of by, by birth. These, these groups and communities that they're part of, they are all competing for this role of Lord in our life. I mean, for example, let's talk about where we're from, our nationality, our allegiance to our country. You see, I'm an American citizen, and I am so proud to be an American. I am so proud to be an American. I mean, look at what America has done. Baseball, free markets economy, democracy, the veterans that have given their lives a lot of the bravery, Bob Dylan, Beyonce, <laughs> Disneyland, Dairy Queen, Blizzards, <laughs> amazing invention by America, Sloppy Joes, God bless America. I mean, I am so proud to be an American. I am proud to be from this country. And so much good has come from being an American. But when we as Americans start talking about empire, we as Christians need to stand up. Because Jesus is against, is opposed to empire. When all of a sudden we see policy and things from Washington talk about policies that would take uh, other countries uh, their economy and you take while while they're a growing economy and while taking advantage of, of their let me pause this, this is hard I'm being very careful how I say this when we hear about certain things that take advantage of other people whether it's a policy or whether it's it's a law as Americans because of our allegiance to Jesus we need to stand up against those certain things because we serve a higher call. We serve a higher kingdom. Let's talk about politics. I'm getting nervous up here, by the way. And I'm going to say something that's, that's bold right here and right now. My hat's that you see the good in what I'm saying. And this, it's hard to say this because the last presidential election, 81% of Republicans voted. Uh, or 81% of evangelicals voted Republican. But, the truth is, and the bold statement, is that Jesus Christ wasn't a Republican. He didn't have a Republican card that he would go to the voting station. And before you you get to to that meeting we had the church, he was neither a Democrat. He was a libertarian. Jesus wasn't about this conversation. Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi living as a poor Jew under the dominance of the Roman Empire. And Jesus articulated a whole new kingdom, a whole new set of principles. And there are so many things in our political structure, so many good things that are talked about. The are Republicans, they, they speak... Of, of lower taxes, of higher freedom, of moral responsibility and family values. These are great things. The Democrats, they speak of environmental care, of social programs, of, of, of many great things. But as disciples of Jesus, if we declare Jesus as Lord, when when those political statements and mantras, when they mesh with, our, with the teachings of Jesus, then we can support that But, in the event that our political party goes against what the teachings of Jesus says, in the event that our political party goes against the example of Christ, it is our obligation as disciples of Jesus to stand up for what Jesus taught. If there is ever a a, a time to decide our allegiance, as Christians, we always decide, we always lean with Jesus. Careers the jobs that we have, the identity that we have. So many times, if if we're in business, there are certain ideals that are promoted, working hard, uh, going out there and pursuing that dream. But if ever, the business or organization, the laws and mantras, the the policy of, of your organization, if it goes against the teachings and example of Jesus, we must have the courage, the boldness to say no. America is not my Lord. The Republican Party is not my Lord. The Democratic Party is not my Lord. My job is not my Lord. I'll tell you who my Lord is. Jesus Christ. And I am committed, I am loyal to the kingdom that he promotes. A kingdom of love and joy and grace. So it's a lot like England, to where the the royal family has no real political power. Uh, There's a prime minister, there's a congress, but Thailand was unique because the Thai king was so loved and so respected. This king was the most powerful person in the entire country. In fact, there are his teachings in Thailand that considered him sort of a demigod, a part part divine himself. And when I was, let's see, 11 years old, I was there in Thailand, and there was this military coup that took place, where the government was corrupt, so the military came in and they took over the government. And after a few weeks, they were in charge. They began to start, they began to start changing laws that were unjust, that were not right. And so there was a people's party that began to riot against the military for staging the coup. And it's known in Thailand as Bloody May, because the conflict got so intense and so deep that there were lives that were lost. At one point, the military opened fire on the protesters. It's, uh, one of my math teachers was walking behind and got struck by a bullet and died. Uh, it, was, it impacted the country in a great way. It got so intense and it got so big. And these two sides. We're not willing to negotiate. We're not willing to to look at the other's point of view. It was a a complete deadlock. A complete deadlock in in Thailand. And the people were suffering. And I'll never forget, in May of 1992, the king of Thailand found out about the struggle and how, how deep they got. And he called them both to the palace. And this is a video of what happened. By the King on the evening. And the man that was crawling in to the room is Su He is the general who states the coup. The man to the left in the blue shirt was the close to the camera, his name is Chanong Stilmong. He was the leader of the People's Party. And this one, uh, closest to the king, was the army general. And what struck me that day was that these two men, they were leaders of their parties, they were leaders of their organizations. And they were so bold and so uh, strong in their convictions that it put the country at a deadline. And what struck me was that these these two proud men, when they were in the presence of the king, they bowed to their knees. They came in calling they sat at the king's feet. And the king spoke to them and said this, the nation belongs to everyone, not to one or two specific people. The problems exist because we don't talk to each other and resolve them together. The problems arise from bloodthirstiness. People can lose their minds when they resort to violence. Eventually, they don't know why they fight each other and the problems they need to resolve them. They merely know that they must overcome the other and they must be the only winner. But this way does not lead to victory, only to danger. And in this path, there were only losers. <clears throat> Those who confront each other will, the, will be the only losers. And the, loser, the greatest loser of all will be our country, Thailand. For what purpose are you telling yourself that you're the winner when you're standing upon a woman within debris? I couldn't believe it, that after this meeting, They all took their people and they all went home. And it was over that day. All because the king, the king. God, the teachings of Jesus above any other organizations, any other leaders, any other persons, that Jesus is where you have your ultimate loyalty. And there'll be times your other groups are consistent with that. and There'll be times where they are not. the most times we always lean with the teachings of Jesus. May we allow Jesus to be how we see the world. May we kneel the feet of Jesus and all declare him as Lord. If you would like to be a disciple of Jesus, you're welcome to come forward and be baptized in his name. Or if you need any any prayers, any form, why don't you come.